And back with another edition of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. The number to get a hold of Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910. And emails are help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We always start the show, my friend, with the week that was. You got a, a busy one this week. Let's I get did. into it. Absolutely, John. Yep. I, I can tell you, the week that was, the first thing that comes to mind is that it was freezing. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, wh- when, when are we going to get warmer weather? Yep. Uh, so so let, let, me, let me get right into it. Uh, this was a very, very busy week. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about a few uh, interesting calls that I got. One of them was earlier this week. I got a call from a gentleman uh, who, who's been listening for, for a few weeks now mm-hmm. uh, and listening to me talk about how to figure out if a settlement offer from an insurance company for an injury is adequate or not. And the reason why he's called me is because he's actually with another lawyer right now. And, and I know that lawyer. In fact, that lawyer advertises on TV. And, uh, you know, that, that lawyer is decent. I, ha- I have no issues with the lawyer, except that when he told me what his case was about, and, and I'll, I'll go through some of the facts, I, I, was, I was a little bit shocked at mm-hmm. what's been going on. So, so here are the facts. He's 55 years old. He has a factory job. He makes about $30,000 a year. About two years ago, he was involved in a car accident. Not his fault. The other driver was charged uh, and, and I presumably convicted. Uh, he has a nerve injury uh, to, to, to his upper back, to his neck, uh, etc., and he hasn't been able to go back to work since that time. Now, here's the interesting part. This happened two years ago. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, the claim was started, but he hasn't uh, gone through the normal process. There's been no what's called a discovery where he gets asked questions about his injuries. There's been no mediation. There's been nothing and he just received uh, about a week and a half ago a call from his lawyer saying, I've negotiated or, or I'm on the verge of negotiating a deal, and what I'm able to get for you is $85,000. And that's $85,000 all-inclusive. That's before that's the everything. lawyer's fees. That's everything. But here's what's concerning me, and let's look at this from a common-sense standpoint. Remember, John, this is all common sense, okay? Mm-hmm. Lawyers didn't invent anything. This is all stuff that, that works on logic. This gentleman is 55 years old. So let's say he's got 10 years more of work expectancy. He's making 30 grand a year. He hasn't been able to work because of a nerve injury. Accident is not his fault. So just off the bat, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, can he get retrained? I mean, he's doing factory work and and he's got a nerve injury. Right. So assume for a second that you have, let's say, 10 years worth of loss of income going forward. Let's say you have five years three years, let's say three years worth of lost income. Keep in mind, he hasn't been working for two years now. So even three years worth of lost income, that's already at 30000 a year, 90 grand. Forget already. about the pain and suffering compensation that he should be entitled to. And here's what else is bothering me about all this. He hasn't been sent to any experts by his lawyer. He's been sent to see certain doctors from the insurance company. And of course, we all know that these doctors generally, not always, but generally, give you know the opinion that the insurance company wants. So in this kind of a case, when you're dealing with a nerve injury, with income loss, with inability to go back to work, when you're dealing with all these issues, you have to really make sure that you, you deal with the claim properly. You have to build it, as, as we say in our industry. We have to have him say, uh, seen by certain experts uh, and, and you know, get a forensic accountant involved, figure out what the claim is about. So, you know, he's coming to see me next week, uh, this week, sorry, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look through the case and I'm going to tell him exactly what I think. A- and again, I never tell people to switch lawyers, especially midstream. Uh, there's a cost, there's an expense. Bill, right? Exactly. But at the very least, you know, he'll have his options. He'll know what he can do. And, and again, it's, it's just a word of warning for everyone out there. Don't simply accept what your lawyer is telling you at face value. Ask questions. If you're getting or offered compensation 
for an injury, understand how that number was uh, was arrived at. You know, John, when, when clients come with me to a mediation where we were about to resolve the claim, or even when I do an intake and I explain to them the process, yeah. I tell them that, uh, you know, even though I'm throwing all this information at you and I'm telling you what you can expect, when it comes down to talk numbers, you're going to be there in the room with me. You're going to see the process. You're going to be part of the process. Should be, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is your life. Maybe your spouse has to be there. Maybe your son, your daughter, your, your parent. I don't know. Someone has to be there with you or wants to be there with you. You need to understand exactly how the numbers are arrived at because once there is a settlement, once you sign a release, that's it. The You're case done. is over. You're done. And, and to come back later, which sometimes people do and say, you know, I wasn't advised properly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to undo the settlement. I want to open the case again. It's extremely difficult to do that, and and you know, generally speaking, that usually leads to a claim against the lawyer because the lawyer obviously didn't do their job in explaining the settlement to the individual. Let me ask you this, then, quickly. I mean, he's coming to see you now. You don't have any obviously uh, you know, medical data about right. what's happened to this guy, but just just from what you've told me, just give me a ballpark where you would start assessing this guy. It wouldn't be eighty five. No, if he really has a nerve injury and really legitimately he can't work, which seems like when I spoke with him, that's the case. I'll tell you right now that uh, my starting point would be, you know, if he was going to retire at age 65 and legitimately he can't work and it's difficult to retrain someone at that age who's been doing factory work for so many years, then just the income loss component here, I would put at three hundred thousand dollars. That's right? insane. That's just just that. And keep in mind, I mean, there's other considerations yeah. because a dollar today is not a dollar in ten years, so we have to account for that. But maybe he needs treatments. Maybe his own insurance company has stopped treating him as well. I don't know all the facts. What I can tell you is that eighty-five thousand dollars for a nerve injury that prevents someone from working it's like at a job. Money. It's yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's a fraction of what he's entitled to. Yeah. So so I'll tell you now that if I had all the reports and if in fact it's what I think it is, then the negotiations should probably start at about half a million dollars. That's huge. We'll take yeah. a, a short break. Get to more of these 416-216-5910 is Savan's direct number. You can also email us some questions. We'll get to those a little later in the show. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up. Talk Radio AM 640. And right back in there, more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Indeed, the number to get hold of Savan anytime. He keeps it on his hip. 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I want to remind you as well, if you have questions outside of show hours, a couple different ways you can get those answered. Myaccidentquestions.com or my disabilityquestions.com. It's a drop-down menu. Uh, chances are your question's already been asked and answered by the experts, by Savannah himself. If not, you can punch it in there, and you'll get a reply uh, post-haste. So I'll uh, get back to it. The week that was. The week that was. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me tell you about another call that I got, and, and this is also interesting. This is a gentleman who called me from Ottawa, uh, and, and you know our reach, unfortunately, doesn't get to Ottawa, but uh, a, a friend of his... Word gets around. Show, word gets yeah. around, exactly. And so he called me, and, and it's a very, very tragic case. His wife passed away recently from cancer. And uh, th- this, is, this is a question he had about uh, her life insurance, uh, which was for $300,000. And, of course, you know, he's in a grieving state still. Uh, but, you know, as, as he has to do, he has to do uh, housekeeping. And one of the things he, he did is he contacted the insurance company mm-hmm. to let them know that she passed away. And, and, of course, you know, collect on the policy. And, of course, that's going to help him, of course, uh, with, with the mortgage. It's going to help him with, with everything he needs to do for, for her to, uh, to bury her, et cetera. And the insurance company has simply not been responsive. The adjuster he dealt with initially 
uh, just dropped off uh, from the face of the earth. And he's not able to get any answers. I'm not going to name the insurance company no. because, frankly, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we see this across the board. But, you know, he sent them all the information. He sent them on the death certificate. He sent everything, and nothing is happening. Uh, and it's it's been weeks and weeks and weeks, wow. and he doesn't know what to do. And, you know, he heard that we deal with insurance matters, not just personal injury, but just insurance disputes, critical insurance, life insurance, disability insurance. And so he called. And I said to him, uh, you know, I unfortunately see this quite a lot. Uh, you know, the adjuster probably has about 300 uh, of these kinds of claims, believe it or not, on their desk. You know, I let me send a letter. I will send a letter for you, uh, and and we'll see if we get a response. And then, you know, his ask his question to me was, well, what happens if if they if they don't respond? And I said, well, if they don't respond, they're going to get a claim, and then they're going to have to respond, right. and we're going to give them a deadline. So we're going to keep this on a very tight leash. So don't worry about it. Focus on your family. Focus on on you know what you're going through. Go 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 through the process you need to go through. Let us deal with it. And, and, and again, John, unfortunately, this is something that we see quite a lot. I see quite a lot on, on a weekly basis. Life insurance policies, critical illness, when, when people are at their most vulnerable state, insurance companies will either not respond, and it's not always the case. A lot of times they will, in fact, honor the claims. I tell you, when my, mo- when my mother passed away, we had no issues whatsoever. I mean, we also had a good broker, and I always tell people, you know, go through an insurance broker for these kinds of things because oftentimes they can actually advocate for you with the insurer. Uh, but w- when you're dealing directly with the insurance company or even with a broker and, and both of them are not responding to you or they're asking for just a ton of documentation that seems irrelevant yeah. to you, those are red flags, Okay, it's a red flag not to have a response from your insurance company for weeks and weeks and weeks or months on end. It's a red flag for them to continue asking you for documents or information that from your standpoint seems completely irrelevant. Because at the end of the day, what do they actually need to, to make this claim, you know, to, to, to honor the claim? If you're dealing with a life insurance policy, you need to show them the death certificate. That's all, you, it's, it's there. Yeah, I mean, what else do you need? Maybe they'll ask for some more medical information. I don't know. If they're asking you, for example... For, for the deceased's medical records because, uh, I don't know, they, they are insinuating that perhaps not all the information was given to them at the time that the application was taken out. So, for example, uh, you know, they want to find out uh, the, the previous health of, of uh, the deceased person. Again, that's a red flag. It, that immediately tells me that they are looking for any which way to somehow deny the claim. Right. So as soon as that happened, as soon as you're being asked for all these extra documents, extra information, no response, uh, they're telling you that they're investigating, they're looking into it, all those are signals that something is off, that, that there's something going on here, and that they may end up denying your claim. So get the legal advice you need early on, make sure that you're armed with this information, and again, I always tell people, it doesn't cost anything to talk to us. At the very least, I'll be able to tell you within seconds of talking to you if I think that there is an issue or not. And, and a lot of times, John, when people call me, uh, I'll tell them, here's what you need to do. You don't need me at this point. Do X, Y, and Z. Call this person. Do that. If there is a problem, call me back. We will deal with it. But you don't need me at this point. So we don't push anyone to do anything. It's your choice. Uh, but you know, people should know. So that was a very interesting case that I wanted to, uh, to bring to everyone's attention. The number is 416-216-5910, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Let me ask you a question before we uh, get into our second break here. The the Globe Mail just ran an article this week about travel insurance, and they quoted you, 
And uh, CBC and Global and Edmonton called you as well about a cyclist that collided with a car and the insurance issues that were uh, raised therein, right? So how often do people have problems with insurance claims and how difficult is it really to solve their issues? That's fascinating. So I, I did speak with someone from the Globe and Mail uh, uh, this week, and it was because um, the regulators of the travel industry in Canada uh, just issued a press release this week saying that they've received a lot of complaints and concerns from the from the public about travel insurance. Yep. And, and uh, of course, she contacted me because of the $1 million baby case right, that I'm right, handling. Right. And she asked me, well, do you think that has something to do with it? And I said, yeah, probably. I, I assume that since that was brought to the forefront of, of everyone's attention, you know, travel insurance issues, everyone probably started complaining, or a lot of people complained, that they've had issues with their insurance policies and their insurance companies as well. So it's extremely common for people to have uh, insurance disputes, whether it's house insurance, uh, long-term disability insurance, life, life insurance, <laughs> critical illness yeah. insurance. Insurance companies are in the business of making money, of collecting profit. And one of the ways they do it is by denying claims. Now, generally speaking, for the most part, they actually pay out claims and they pay them out legitimately. There's no issue. But many times when people come to me, and they come to me for a variety of these kinds of disputes, a lot of times the adjusters are, are just, they're missing pieces of the puzzle. They're denying claims without having all the information. They're denying claims on, uh, on the basis of erroneous uh, analysis of medical mm-hmm. documents, of, of, of various things that they're given. So it, it's very, very common to see these denials, and it's not difficult to resolve them. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a very simple proposition. If you are denying a claim, if you're an insurance company, you're denying a claim, you have to have a reason. Okay, even if you go to court and you go in front of a judge, which, by the way, most of these claims don't even see a judge. But if you go in front of a judge, a judge is going to ask the insurance company a simple question. On what basis are you denying this claim? And so, you know, if if you you have a claim that's being denied, and again, critical illness, uh, life insurance, any of those kinds of claims, disability, if you think it doesn't make sense that they're denying your claim, then there is probably some truth to you, to to the way you're thinking because otherwise you wouldn't be thinking that. Yeah, your spidey sense is telling you that for a reason. Well, right? exactly. Yeah. And sometimes there, there are gray areas, but that's something that we can deal with. That's something that we can analyze and tell you fairly quickly if you're on solid ground or not. Take a short break. 416-216-5910. That's Savan's personal number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll take a short break and get right back into it. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here. Talk Radio AM 640. And back into it. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show here. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan. Uh, now we're outside of show hours as well. You can email him. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Uh, I understand, my friend, you were contacted, I, I believe, by someone you knew about a, about a slip and fall recently. Give me some details. Yeah, John, that was interesting. We talked about that just before the show. I got a voicemail this week from someone that I hasn't, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen and haven't heard of uh, in many years. He was he was my TA when I was an undergrad, and uh, he called me because he, he turned on the radio a few weeks ago and actually heard me on, on the show. And uh, yeah, this this guy, this is a fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. Just you know, one of the best people you'd ever meet, uh, best TA I ever had. And the reason he called me is because he himself suffered a slip and fall. Uh, and so uh, you know, I'm going to be getting in touch with him yep. fairly shortly to talk about it. But you know, that that uh, actually brings me to another issue, which is. Uh, slips and falls. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're in winter season. It, it's it's the, you know, extremely cold outside, a lot of ice, a lot of snow. 
there was an article this week in the Toronto Star, uh, the title of which was Sidewalk Snow Clearing Gets a Failing Grade on Finch Avenue. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and, and, and as I'm reading it, uh, you know, my eyes opened up uh, because it's exactly what I've been talking about for a long time. You know, they're mentioning the area here where, where they're saying that there's been issues with plowing and, and clearing up. And one of the things that they, that they wrote in the article is, yeah, the city and its plowing contractors have done a pretty good job of cleaning up all the snow that has fallen over the past few weeks, with a few notable exceptions. And, and you know, what jumps at me here is the city and its plowing contractors. I can't tell you, John, how many times I've had cases where uh, I've, I've made a claim against the city oh. uh, for, for slip and falls on ice, only to find out that the city contracts out these kinds of things to other companies. But here's the thing. The city goes out and tenders out these contracts, and so you have these companies that bid on these, but then these companies oftentimes subcontract themselves to another company oh my God. that's supposed to then take care of the area. And believe it or not, sometimes those companies subcontract again. So a lot of times the city has absolutely no clue who's doing the work. Again, for, for those of you out there, make sure that you, know, you watch where you're going, but if you do slip and fall on a city sidewalk or in a parking lot or any places like that, Make sure you notify uh, whoever's responsible for the area as soon as possible. If it's a city, you got 10, 10 days. 10 days, that's it, to, right? 10 days. you got to yeah. notify them in writing. Uh, the, the city clerk, you can just Google that if it's Toronto, Vaughan, or whoever it is. Uh, and, and again, you know, take pictures of where it is that you fell so that you can show if, in fact, uh, you know, there was salt or sand on the ground. And give me a call. Give me a call. It's not difficult, uh, you know, to get a hold of me. L- let's chat. I'll tell you exactly if you're entitled to composition or not. You know, I spoke with a gentleman who actually slipped outside a skating rink, believe it or not. Uh, re- um, if he was just a couple feet over. It was just a couple, yeah, exactly. It would have been fine. No, you know, he actually has a legitimate claim. The only problem with that claim is, is that the injury healed uh, uh, very quickly. Well, it's not a problem. It's good for him. Yeah, right. And in fact, I told him, I said, listen, I said, you have a claim here. But to be honest with you, it's not going to be worth your right. while yeah. to pursue it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to drag someone through a process unless I think that it, it makes sense for them financially. Yeah. It just makes no sense. You know, there's some lawyers, some law firms that they don't care. If they can make a buck, if they can make, uh, you know, a few dollars on your claim do and drag you through it, they'll do it. I'm not interested in that. My team is not interested in that. Uh, you know, we will tell you, we will assess your claim and tell you exactly what it is that you are entitled to. The number 416-216-5910. And we pump the email as well, help at the insurancelawyer.ca, which I will bounce over two right now got uh, the first one in the morning uh, from sandy and barry says i was in an accident about three months ago and had to take time off work i feel i can probably work a few hours a day but not a full time like before i talked to my hr manager but they said that they need me to be 100 percent okay before i come back don't know what that'll ever happen what do i do okay well sandy this is a perfect question not just for me but for my partner uh lior samfiro <clears throat> yep uh, who does the employment hour, because really we're dealing here with two issues. Uh, firstly, we're dealing with the accident itself. Uh, so clearly you're entitled to benefits from your own insurance company. And hopefully, uh, you know, you've been getting those since this happened three months ago. Uh, you should be getting income replacement benefits. You should be getting uh, money for treatments, etc. Uh, you also probably have a claim against whoever was at fault for the accident, if it wasn't you. Uh, but, you know, in terms of your own place of employment, they have a duty to accommodate you. And if you spoke to any one of our employment lawyers at the firm, they will tell you the same thing, that the employer can simply do whatever they want. You need to obviously give them a medical note explaining that you either need to be off work, uh, and here's the reason, or that you need certain accommodations. And they have to bend backwards to make sure that they accommodate you. And if they don't, 
then you give us a call. I mean, you give me a call anyway to so talk about the accident. But, you know, again, John, this is one of those unique, uh, not, not unique scenario, but this is one of the unique things about our firm that we handle both the employment aspect of, of a claim like this as well as the personal injury aspect. Because sometimes they go one and one. They go one and right? one, and you need that coordination. You need that yes. communication between the lawyers. It's, it's almost like a tag team approach yep. to the case, and, and that's very, very unique. You, you know, if you were to Google personal injury out there, uh, personal injury firms, you're not going to see personal injury firms that do employment law as well. So the fact that we do both really, really helps our clients, especially when the employer doesn't play ball. If you need them, give them a call, 416-216-5910. That is Savan's number. His email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll take a short break. Lots more coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, right here, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I'll get to uh, another email before I ask you some some questions on my end. Uh, Greg from Oakville says, my wife has been receiving long-term disability for almost two years. We just got a letter saying that the insurance company will only pay us uh, until the two-year mark. We've heard that before, which will be, uh, what, March 31st, he says, 2015 this year. And then my wife won't qualify. She can't possibly go back to work. I have two questions about this. Number one, uh, can they cut us off just like that, and what can we do about it? Go that question first. Okay, well, let's deal with that question. Um, Okay, this is unfortunately not uncommon. Uh, The two-year mark, as we've talked before on the show, uh, for long-term disability basically means that the test changes for you to qualify for LTD. So for the first two years, you have to show that you can't do your own occupation. You can't do your own job. For the second part, or for you know beyond the two years, you have to show that you, you cannot uh, do any work, any job for which you, uh, you're trained for or have experience in or have education in. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a much wider test. It doesn't mean that the question is not can you do any job. Right. It's can you do any job for which you're suited for by education, training, or experience. And so in this case, uh, the two-year mark, very, very common for insurance companies to cut people off. Uh, and it's also very common for us to start claims and then get the insurance company to either reinstate the payments after they get all the medical documents and reports that we provide them, or to agree to settle the claim uh, for future benefits as well as some past benefits as well. So what does it mean? It means that, first of all, don't panic, okay? <coughs> that's uh, number one, right? That's yeah. number one. Give us a call. We're probably going to be speaking with you for a few minutes to get some background information. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll ask for the denial letter. And we will ask you uh, for, for some information from a medical standpoint to understand what is the nature of the disability? Uh, why is it that she can't go back to work? Uh, you know, can she do anything at this point, anything that for which she's suited for by education, training, or experience? And at the end of the day, if the reality is that your doctors support you or your wife in this case, Greg, uh, that she cannot go back to, to any job for which she's suited, uh, then we will be able to force the insurance company to either reinstate her, to give her the benefits back on a monthly basis, or to come to some kind of an agreement, a negotiation, a settlement mm-hmm. uh, that, that all the sides are going to be happy with and, and close the claim. So don't, get, don't give up. Don't walk away. John, that's another thing I should mention. A lot of people come to me after they've walked away. They've listened to the show and then call me with you know, a disability claim or an injury claim that happened to them four, five, six years ago. There are limitation periods. Be very aware that when something like this happens to you, don't sit on it. If you know someone, if you have a family member, a friend, someone that you know that is going through something like this, just tell them to give me a call. It's not going to be difficult for me to just tell them over the phone in a few minutes if they have any entitlements. So that's what I would say here to Greg. Make sure that you call me 
and uh, I'll review the denial letter. I'll ask a few questions, and I'll tell you exactly what your options are. The second part of his question, and I might you know, throw this fast forward to Lior next hour, but uh, we'll throw it out there anyway. What if the employer tells her, uh, his wife, that they don't have any uh, position for her anymore? Well, that's certainly an employment-type question. And again, it goes back to what I said before, which is that even in disability-types cases, uh, you know, th- that unique blend of employment and insurance and yep. injury law that we do really helps out. Well, I can tell you that I know enough about employment law uh, from Lior and the other lawyers in our office uh, that, again, employers have to make sure that they keep that job for the disabled employee. I mean, look, they can't keep it, obviously, for 40, 50 years. <laughs> there is a reasonableness there, and, of course, Lior can talk more about that. But at the end of the day, uh, I, 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 I would be very surprised if, if Lior would come on here and say that, you know, the person is disabled, but they, they're able to go back to work in a year or two, and the, ins- and, and the employer says, we have no job for you, that, you know, the employer can simply get away with it. N- no, they can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's effectively a termination. There's going to be severance that's owed. Maybe there's a human rights component right. in there because, you know, you may have been let go while you were on disability. Uh, so, again, if you're facing this kind of a situation, uh, whether it's issues with your employer while you're on disability or whether it's, uh, you know, being cut off from your long-term disability insurer, give us a call. We'll talk to you. No charge. few minutes. You'll know exactly what you can do. 416-216-5910 is that number. And help at the insurancelawyer.ca. So how do you guys deal, uh, you know, in injury cases where the uh, an injured person wants to try to come back to, say, modified duties, but the employer's like, no, it's not happening? Uh, well, again, that depends on the employer. It depends on what the employer can reasonably accommodate uh, and provide. Uh, you know, I- I- if we sense that there is, uh, you know, that there is resistance from the yeah. employer to accommodate, then we immediately get an employment lawyer on, on, at our firm to intervene. And oftentimes a simple letter to the employer resolves the issue. Uh, in some situations where it doesn't resolve the issue, there may be an employment claim that we end up starting, and that does happen. I mean, a lot of employers, especially smaller employers, don't understand that they have duties to accommodate, a duty to accommodate. And, and, of course, that puts more pressure on our client who is injured and is trying to obviously get better right. and is trying to get back to work and now has been pushed down even more. So, again, very, very important to deal with these issues very, very quickly because if you don't and you just let it be, uh, then you know, you're not going to collect the money that's owed to you and your family is going to be in a worse off situation. Well, how does that affect the personal injury claim if they refuse to take you back? You're talking about money being owed. Well, you know, it, it, it affects the claim in that uh, the person is obviously interested in trying to get back to work. Uh, and, and, and then we don't know at this point in these situations if the person can actually work. I mean, they're trying to get back to work. And what I like when somebody tells me that I'm going to try to get back to work, even if it's a few hours a day or a, or a few hours a week, is that you're making an attempt. And no one on the other side, you know, when we're making a claim for an injury, one of the arguments defense lawyers often bring up is, well, show me that you've tried to get better. Show me you, you've tried to get treatments. Show, show me that you've tried to go back to work. Well, here the person is interested in trying to go back to work. So maybe the employer won't take you back. Okay, well, I'll tell my client, try and get a job somewhere else if we can't get you back to the, uh, you know, to the, to, to the right. form of employment you had. Because, again, it's very, very important to show that you're trying to get better, you're trying to get back on the horse. That gives you credibility. With me, which means that your case is going to be much, much stronger when it comes down to calculating your compensation. Quick break. We'll take uh, help at the insurance lawyer.ca if you want to toss us an email question and the number anytime outside of show hours included. 416-216-5910. More of the insurance and injury law show coming up on Talk Radio AM 640.
And back into it we go with the Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. That is the number to get a hold of Savant. You should write that one down, keep it in your wallet. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for emails. I'll get to a couple here in a minute. Got a, uh, a short stack stacking up. But first, um, throw you a curveball. What if a person uh, is injured in a car accident, his employer is giving him a hard time with doing modified duties, and his long-term disability insurer rejects his claim? Sort that one out, my friend. Well, then you really need our firm for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, try and find the firm that does employment, personal injury, and insurance disputes. Uh, listen, we are going to be attacking all three simultaneously at the same time. We're not going to let anyone off the hook, and, and we're not going to be wasting any time doing that. So with respect to the car accident, you know, we're dealing potentially with two insurance companies, Right our own client's insurance company, as well as the insurance the company of the other driver, right? Then we're dealing with the employer who doesn't want to accommodate. So we're going to have an employment lawyer dealing with that. Then we're going to be dealing with the long-term disability insurer. And John, I actually have a case right now on the go. It's a fairly complex case. Uh, and, and it's a complex case because we're dealing with a car accident as well as two subsequent incidents that have injured uh, our client. And uh, so, so, so we have a whole bunch of, of uh, parties in here. And, you know, just recently we've had an issue with the long-term disability insurance company. So, again, we're able to deal with all of them at the same time uh, with a unified front. And here's what's going to happen. I'll, I'll project that to you. And here's what's going to happen with the curveball that you sent me. We will start a claim against every party that we think owes our client money for whatever injury, disability, or whatever it is that's happening that uh, then tells our client for compensation we are going to arrange for a mediation with all the parties. That's called a global mediation. And, and that, that's a time where all the parties come together uh, with their lawyers and negotiate a full and all-inclusive settlement. And again, you're going to be there. If this is you and, and you have these kinds of claims going on, it's very, very important to make sure that all the parties are in the room at the same time. And the reason for that is very, very simple. If you have a claim against your employer or against your insurer or against the other, uh, you know, the, the, the insurance company of whoever was at fault, against all these parties, you, know, you don't want to be in a situation where, where you potentially settle with one of them. And then when it comes down to settle with the other ones, the other ones say, oh, wait a second, you got a bad deal with the first one. No, no, no. You want everyone in the same room. So strategically, we always want to make sure we have this global settlement happen. And it doesn't always happen. It's not always the case. But you want to make sure that you attack on all fronts and make sure you maximize the amount of compensation that, 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 that the client gets. What happens when someone's uh, like injured in a car accident and is forced to use bank sick days? Because I've heard of that, right? Can they, uh, they can be claimed or does the person lose those days for good? Well, that's an interesting question because and that's a big concern for many people, especially when you've banked a lot of sick days and, uh, I don't know, you work for the city or, or whoever, and you're very, very concerned, especially, by the way, when you can convert at the end of, of your tenure uh, or when you retire, you can convert those into cash, right? You can actually take them as an early retirement or, or whatnot. Legally, so, you have that no matter what? No, no, no. no. It depends on, on, on your employment right. and you know what contract you have. But the concern people have is what happens if they have to use those sick days uh, while they're injured because otherwise they could have used those uh, you know, at sure. the end, right? I mean, they could have actually gotten cash for that. So the answer is this. Uh, it, it's, it depends, first of all. There's a lot of cases out there that say that the fact that you had to use bank sick days uh, and you know, to use them because you're injured means that you can now seek compensation for those sick days against whoever was at fault for the accident. So I had a case uh, a couple years back. It's, it was a very, um, very bad slip and fall, uh, a, a fractured ankle. 
and and this lady had to use I think it was about eighteen or nineteen thousand dollars worth of oh bank gosh. sick days exactly, and I had a debate with the other lawyer on the case law saying you know I said my lady is entitled in addition to the compensation for pain and suffering. Uh, to compensation for those sick days because now she can't use them in the future. Mm -hmm. And the other lawyer took an opposite position. And we ended up um, uh, resolving the dispute after we exchanged some cases and and they ended up paying for all of those sick days. That was part of the compensation package. Nice little bonus. So yes, so you are entitled to those. uh, Despite the fact that lawyers like to banter around, uh, the, the case law is pretty clear. You should be able to be compensated for those used banked sick days. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to Leslie Newmarket. Says, I've been on long term LTD for one year now, and last Tuesday got a call from the adjuster saying that their doctor reviewed my medical records and doesn't agree with my psychiatrist that I can't go back to work. Uh, I suffer uh, from very bad depression and can hardly get out of bed. My mother died about a year ago, and we were extremely close. I don't know what to do. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, so, obviously, Leslie has a psychiatrist here. Uh, I mean, we, we're talking about a specialist, an MD who who deals with these kinds of issues, uh, and, and that person, from what we can see from the email, uh, is is supporting Leslie. So, so Leslie, let me tell you this: the fact that the insurance company's doctors are taking an opposite view of your psychiatrist uh, means nothing to me. And the reason it means nothing to me is because they're not the ones treating you. You don't even know, from what I understand from the email, uh, who those doctors are. It's just the adjuster writing you saying that our medical people looked at these documents and the reports. Uh, so it's not unusual for insurance companies to have their own doctors uh, re- re- review medical files and obviously come to opinions uh, without even uh, examining the individual, uh, s- saying that you know you don't you, you no longer qualified. You know you should be able to to at least do a few hours a week uh, worth of work, which means of course you don't qualify for the LTD. In every situation like this, I tell some I, I, I tell people, let me see the denial letter. Uh, l- l- let me let me really read it well. Uh, let me see what your, your what your specialist says or your family doctor says, and you know, John, I guarantee you that with one or two letters here, I can probably get the insurance company to back off. Now, I can't guarantee that they won't cut her off in the future, right. but I can tell you that uh, it, it, these cases are not difficult to resolve, especially when you have a doctor, a specialist supporting the the individual uh, it, it, by saying that this person is not ready to go back to work. I mean, look, <clears throat> if you go in front of a judge, let, let's just use logic. Yep. And, and you are from a judge, and, and you have two doctors competing here with testimony. You have uh, uh, your own uh, specialist, and then you have someone from the insurance side, the doctor there, who's never even examined you. Who is a judge going to go with? Who is a judge going to believe? Totally. You know, it's a no-brainer, right? Same thing here, exactly. But you need someone to obviously frame the issues, frame the questions, provide the reports in a certain way that the insurance company understands that they only have two choices. They can either pay or they can get a claim and then pay just a little bit later. So do they, I mean, do they do that just for the sole purpose that they're hoping that three, four out of 10 people just go, okay, 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 and back off to do it to save money? John, more than three or four out of 10. Wow. And whether it's LTD, whether it's, it's auto insurance, home insurance claims, fire losses, they are banking on, on the fact that most people are going to walk away. And the reality is they do. They do. I mean, look, if you were to go and Google insurance lawyer, and I've been saying this for a while now, you're going to get either a whole slew of personal injury lawyer ads, or you're going to get... Uh, firms out there who do insurance work, but they work for insurance companies. There are very, very few lawyers who actually take on insurance companies, just take them head on. And I I mean, I don't know why. Maybe it's just a a very narrow specialty. Maybe it's because they don't want to be bothered. But at the end of the day, 
If you go to an insurance lawyer uh, that deals in this industry, it's actually not difficult to resolve these issues right. with insurance companies. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Take a quick break and be back with our uh, final moments here in the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. And the number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, which is where I want to go right now, Savannah. A couple emails, clear them up before the, uh, the end of the show. We'll bounce over to Sonia. Uh, she writes in and says, how would I know if a settlement uh, the insurance company offers me for my injuries is right? I feel they're not compensating me properly. I was in a car accident eight months ago, and I went back to work part-time. used to be full-time. A difference of $20,000 a year. 58 years old. My back and neck hurt all the time. The accident wasn't my fault. They're offering me $25,000 if I sign their papers by next Friday. Twenty-five grand. Holy macros. Uh, Don't even cover the car. Yeah, exactly. So, so John, let, let's go through this in, in detail. Sonia, uh, listen very, very carefully. First of all, you should not be negotiating something like this on your own. No. Uh, you can. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. Uh, like, I'm not going to force you, but I'm going to tell you that you do it at your own peril. I can tell you that what they're offering you, if you accept... Uh, is gonna is gonna leave a lot of money on the table, mm-hmm. and if they're offering you twenty five grand uh, just off the bat without you having representation, uh, it means that they probably have five to ten times in store on reserves no for kidding. this claim. And I, l- let's look at this for a second. Uh, she was in an accident eight months ago. She's fifty eight years old. Now uh, we're seeing articles and news flashes all the time about the fact that Canadians are now working uh, more than than just age sixty five. But okay. let's use age sixty five as the benchmark. 58 years old, so you're talking about seven years left to go. Let's assume for a second that she has difficulty going back to full-time and she's at a loss of 20000 a year for, for seven more years. How much is that? Seven times 20? Yep, there you go. 140, just Done. like that. Now, now, again, we have to obviously prove that and show that that's what's going to happen, but just off the bat, 140. Now, she says, my back and neck hurt all the time. I'm not sure what the injury is. Is it soft tissue that's become chronic? Is it a nerve injury? Is it an orthopedic, thing. a joint yeah. thing? I have no idea. Maybe it's a bulged disc. I can tell you that soft tissue type injuries back pain, neck pain. You know, we talked about value of claims before yep. from car accidents. Those usually get assessed at anywhere from thirty to $60,000, you know, it, it, depending on the situation, but that's just for the pain and suffering. Now, what else can she not do? Does she, are you having difficulty, Sonia, doing stuff at home? Do you need help housekeeping? Did you hire a housekeeper? Exactly. There's an expense there. So just off the bat, your claim is worth a lot more than the $25,000. So what I would tell you is do not sign anything, okay? Give me a call. I, I, you know, just by getting a little bit more information, I could probably give you a pretty good assessment uh, as to how much your claim is worth. But again, it's how much it's worth now. At the hands of a good personal injury lawyer who builds up the case, who sends you to the right experts, who, who gets an accountant to crunch the numbers, gets perhaps an orthopedic surgeon or, or a physiatrist, someone to give reports to give a proper diagnosis, Perhaps then we can even, you know, get, maximize the number even, even higher, depending again on what the losses are. So, no, do not sign that piece of paper. If you sign it and then cash the check, your claim is done. You can't come back a year from now saying, I want to reopen my case. 416 216 5910. Sonia is that number. We'll get to uh, one more in the last few moments here. Uh, Jerry from Richmond Hill. My wife had critical illness insurance for $100,000. She was diagnosed with breast cancer three months ago. And the insurance company keeps asking us for more and more and more documents. They're saying that we didn't tell them everything uh, when we first got the insurance, but we told our insurance broker everything. What could we do? 
Uh, well, give me a call immediately because I just identified through the email two major red flags that we talked about already. Number one, uh, that they keep asking for more and more documents. Okay, that tells you something. They're combing the documents to see if they can hang their hat on anything that will allow them to deny the claim. That's number one. Number two, the fact that they're saying to you, and I don't know if they're saying to you via email, by phone, that they're saying you didn't tell them everything when you first got insurance Again, that tells me that they are positioning themselves to deny the claim on possibly a misrepresentation or an allegation of a misrepresentation. And I don't know if that's true or not. The other thing is this, Jerry. You said that you used an insurance broker. And again, I'm telling people out there, to the extent possible, use insurance brokers to get insurance. And the reason I say that is this. You're not going to an insurance broker just to get the best price. You're going to a broker because they have expertise in insurance. So whether it's business insurance, travel insurance, car insurance, house insurance, if you go to a broker and then there is a problem with your claim down the road, let's say that the insurance company says, you know, you misrepresented something or, uh, you know, this is excluded or that's excluded. Well, then the question turns to the broker. And then we have to ask the broker, wait a second, what happened here? This person came to you for insurance. Incidentally, just to, uh, uh, as a side note, with the uh, $1 million baby case, the lady from Saskatchewan in Hawaii that gave birth, you know, in that case, without talking too much about the details because the negotiations are ongoing now between me and the lawyers for Blue Cross and, and the broker, uh, the, bro the broker's lawyer, very, very important. We, I wrote to both Blue Cross's lawyer as well as the lawyer for the broker who sold the policy. Because my position is very, very clear. Either you, Blue Cross, is responsible for these expenses or you, broker, screwed up. And your insurance company should cover what Blue Cross should have covered. I don't care which one of you pays what, as long as my client is not out of pocket. So the same thing here, Jerry. Uh, give me a call. I, I know it's a difficult time. Uh, you, you know, your wife is going through something that no one should have to go through. Uh, but I, I will be able to help you. At the very least, we'll be able to give you your options and tell you uh, what you can do and when you should do it and what the options are. 416-216-5910, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We've got about a minute left, so I'll ask you a quick one. And I know this affects a lot of people listening to us driving on the road. That is, if you're injured in a car accident while driving a company car, then what happens? Well, it's not, it's, it's not that different than driving your own car, except that if you're in the course of your employment, then the question, the analysis obviously is, uh, you know, should you be claiming through workers' comp? Well, you know, right. a, a lot of people think that if they're injured while driving a company car uh, and, and they're in the course of their employment, that automatically uh, they should be filing for workers' comp. Not necessarily the case. The benefits that you can get or the compensation you can get uh, through a claim through the ordinary court system uh, is much greater than through workers' comp. And so when someone comes to me in that situation, the first question I ask is, who was at fault for the accident? If it was someone else that was at fault, so let's say it's a two-car collision, so you're driving to, I don't know, with a van because you're an electrician going somewhere, you're in the course of your employment uh, or, or you know, on the way to a job, and, and there is another driver that rear-ends you, and that person is not in the course of their employment. That person is on their way home, well, then you're probably going to have a choice to make. Either you claim for workers' comp yep. because you were injured in the course of your employment or you make a claim against the other driver's insurance company. And you should always, in my opinion, go through the other one, the, the claim with the other driver because, like I said, the benefits there are significantly higher than WSOB, than workers' comp. We'll take it for another week, my friend. Good show. More information. If you didn't get your uh, questions answered, you can ask them two ways, 416-216-5910 or email Savon, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been another edition of the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640.